welcome, welcome, welcome. I would like to welcome you to episode 407 of the Unpopular Podcast. It's the man, the myth, the legend, Jalen Hunter. And here at the Unpopular Podcast, I'm not going to ask you to agree with me. I'm asking you to hear me out. You know what's funny about this first topic? You can almost literally go back to the episode around this time and copy and paste that segment to this segment when talking about the NFL combine. <laughs> this is almost like a, a an evergreen uh, segment for this this time, which is which is funny to me. So that's that withstanding, you guys know how I feel about the NFL combine and my issues with the NFL combine. Now, the issues that I've had and that I currently still have with the NFL combine are that they haven't changed. I still think the NFL combine is a lazy excuse to help scouters, team evaluators do their job. Instead of, I, I don't think that there's nothing, there's nothing in the combine that can simulate an actual game and that can show me, there's nothing in the combine that's going to wow me that didn't wow me on the field. And I still have my gripes about why are defensive linemen, why are uh, offensive linemen running the 40-yard dash. You know, when I look at Zach Martin, when I look at Quentin, 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 uh, oh my gosh, Quentin Nelson, I'm sorry. When I look at someone like Chris Jones, you know the first thing I don't, I think, you know what never crosses my mind? Damn, I wonder what they run in the 40. Like, it just, to me, the, the only positions that should run the 40 are wide receivers running backs and possibly quarterbacks I don't think every other position needs the 40 it just just, my gripes about the NFL combine are well noted but looking back and listening to a couple of those gripes and a couple of those episodes and Going, listening to my quote unquote vigor and my frustration with the combine, it kind of, there's kind of a sense and there's kind of a stigma that I hate the combine or I don't see a value in the combine. And that's not true. Everything that I just said and all my gripes about the combine are still there, but there are some benefits. And we kind of saw one this year. Now, this isn't the only benefit, but this kind of helps my case. There, Combines allow you to get personal and a personal up-close view of a player that you possibly wouldn't be able to do if you are scouting them. Now, if you're scouting them, maybe I don't know why you wouldn't be able to, but 
you're able to sit down, you're able to talk to these players, you're able to understand and get to get a feel of who they are. And um, let me see homie's name. And the, another thing that you're able to do, and I, I hope that I don't think it should affect as far as the future or should affect your draft position, seeing as though it can be fixed. But the draft, I mean, the draft combine is able to uncover things that maybe you as a player didn't even understand. For instance, Kool-Aid McKinstry, who was a football player, I think he played for Alabama, yes. He, um, during the combine, his medical report came back saying that he has a Jones fracture. Maybe he knew, maybe he didn't know, I don't know, but because of the combine, he was able to know that, and now he's able to get the requisite treatment or surgery, you know what I'm saying? There are benefits to the combine. I will not, nothing, uh, that, n my gripes about it doesn't take away from some of the benefits, but I, it's still to me, the, the issues that I have with the combine are still issues that are there. People doing pointless drills, and pe you know what it is? And I think the, I don't want to do this, but I will. I think people, you, you want to know how the combine and pro days or whatever. Well, let's just say the com yeah, it was combine and pro days. You know how you know that scouts and NFL teams put way too much stock in it? Because look at some of the players that had excellent combines and pro days that didn't turn out good in the NFL. For instance... Zach Wilson. If you would have looked at Zach Wilson, yes, there were some flashes of of positivity and flashes of greatness at BYU. But if you would have looked, if you would have looked at Zach Wilson, like throughout the whole season, nothing would have told you that he should be a high pick in the draft. Not saying that he shouldn't have been drafted, but he should not have been a high pick in the draft. But because he had an incredible combine, incredible pro day, he gets picked where he gets picked. But if the scouts, if the teams would have done their due diligence and actually watched him live and went to some of his games you would know, oh, this guy is not a top-round draft pick at all. All I'm saying is this. There are some drastic issues that I have with the combine. But with me saying that, there does that doesn't mean that there aren't really high positives. And... I'm not saying that you should do away with the combine, but there should be drastic changes. Changes that I doubt are going to happen because we all love to talk about how the offensive lineman has a better 40 time than some quarterback or something. Which, in what way, shape, or form does that ever matter? 
Why do I care that a Notre Dame offensive lineman has a faster a faster 40 time than Patrick Mahomes? <laughs> like, like what? Who cares? Don't get me wrong. I still think that whatever offensive lineman, if they're good enough to be drafted, no matter if they're fast or not, then, you know, they should be drafted. But what? And again, another another talent slip up was was Tom Brady, the GOAT. Now, yes, I understand that at Michigan he wasn't what he eventually turned out to be in the NFL, but he was damn good enough to bro, Tom Brady at Michigan was still better than a sixth round pick. Which means teams, including the New England Patriots, passed on him. Several times. We should tell you that the, but they passed him because of his measurements and because, you know, how slow of a 40 time he had. Hmm. You know who had a really quick 40 time? And you know how, who had a brilliant, like a great combine? Marcus Russell. I don't know about his 40 time, but he had a really good combine. Oh, you know who else had a really fast um, combine? Terrell Pryor. What I'm saying is there's just too much stock that's that's held with the combine. Which, and I think the biggest issue is it it could negatively affect someone that is deserving of a high draft pick because the scouts were too lazy or just didn't find the time to go watch these players live, which doesn't make sense to me. And trust me, while we're talking about the NFL combine, this isn't just this isn't just me bashing the NFL or this isn't just an NFL problem. When we talk about scouts and, you know, teams not doing their due diligence, it happens in almost every sport. I mean, it, a really good example could be or was Nikola Jokic. How is it that a two-time MVP, possibly a three-time MVP this year, a finals MVP, and an NBA champion and somebody that's widely regarded one of the best players that we could have possibly ever seen fall to the second round or another player a defensive player of the year a generational defensive talent and a four-time NBA champion named Draymond Green falls to the second round what I'm saying is to me this the the combine was was built in. I understand that not everyone can do a pro day. Not every you can't go to every single game. But if you have somebody on your board, if you have somebody that you think is good enough, is important enough to draft, why would you not do the due diligence to go and see them multiple times? And the combine just it allows scouts to be lazy. Which is why you see a lot of teams suffer. Again, I understand that we've I've kind of strayed away from the point. The point is that there are I'm not saying do away with the NFL combine. I'm not saying that there aren't benefits, but to me, there are more negatives that outweigh the positives when we talk about the combine. 
And because of that, I don't understand or I get I guess I understand it to a certain extent, but it should not be glorified as the end all be all like it is right now. Because it to me, it honestly negatively affects not only the draft process, but it negatively affects the importance of an NFL or of a college football season in terms of its connection to the get you getting drafted because as we've seen on a bunch of occasions these teams some of these teams a lot of these teams most of these teams care more about what you do in spandex and tights and running a 40 than you do on a football field and to me that is crazy let me get off my soapbox let's move forward I've I've addressed this before. I've talked about this before. But we are in new times and this is definitely a different type of issue now. In fact, when I first talked about this, I was questioning if it is an issue or not. I'm not I wasn't saying that it's not here. Because it's clearly here. The question was, is it an issue and will will it be an issue moving forward? Well, we are moved forward and it now is an issue. And that is the scoring boom in the NBA. Let me first say that I understand how we got here. How we got here, there's a there's there's a multitude of factors to get us here a lot of it is talent we have seen we have never seen let me say this we have never seen the just sheer amount of offensive talent that in the league currently than we've ever seen the league is in when we talk about skill when we talk about scoring ability we have never seen the league be this vast in, in, as a sense of talent perspective. Any given night, we can, there, almost every single team, almost every single team has a player that you can look up and say, God damn, he has 50? Even the bad teams. You, we can talk about how bad Jordan Poole has been for the Wizards. Jordan Poole can still put up points. We can talk about how bad the Detroit Pistons are. Cade Cunningham can still put up points. Every, we have never seen the quality and the, the skill pool be as vast and as depth as, as it is now. I mean, the top two leading scorers in the NBA, which is Nicole, I mean, which is Luka Doncic and and Shea Gilders Alexander, are both averaging over 30 points a game, which means that you're walking into a game expecting both of them to get 30. That so one factor obviously is just the sheer talent, 
that is in the league. And the sheer ability to put the ball in the hole. <laughs> We've never seen a talent pool this vast in the NBA. That's one factor. Another factor is market marketing. Stop me if you heard this. It's easier and, and a lot more efficient to market scoring than it is defense. We talk about MVPs. We talk about scoring titles more than we talk about Defensive Player of the Year awards. Or we talk about all NBA teams more than we talk about all defensive teams. That's, that's by design. Think about it like this. From since you have watched basketball, whoever's listening, whoever's watching, thank you for that. Subscribe. <laughs> what has been more glorified? What has been more showcased? What has been more exciting to hear about an alley oop? About a slam dunk on somebody or a steal and a block. It's all marketing. Now, I'm not, <laughs> I don't have a, you know, a conspiracy, conspiracy theorist, you know, metal or, or aluminum hat or anything. It is it's obvious. When you look at these, just look at any single time ESPN, anytime uh, TNT shows a promotion for a game. They don't show steals. They don't show blocks out, outside LeBron James' chase down block. They'll show someone dunking on somebody, someone screaming, somebody hitting a three. It's marketable, which I always think is hilarious to me when people are so up in arms about the All-Star game and the lack of the lack well, let me not say people, which I why I, I find it fascinating. I find it funny that, you know, the N NBA and league sponsors and, you know, Adam Silver, how they're so up in arms about the scoring boom and about how the All-Star game doesn't see a lot of defense. But you promote offense. When we talk about when we even show when you're watching a game and it says, you know, the the game coming up. Obviously, it's going to show the best players in their their head silhouettes, but it's you don't you you very rarely see the best defensive player unless the best offensive player ain't playing. So they've also on top of the marketing and the players just being this good, it's also the rules. When you look at, outside of talent-wise, of course, when you look at the NBA in the 90s and early 2000s, compared to the NBA now, it is night and day different. Like, there, there really isn't any similarities because they have not modeled their game or they have the, it's easier to market today's game than it was in the nineties, which kind of goes back to a conversation that I, we talked about a couple episodes ago, the face of the league, 
The reason why it was so important to have the face of the league because it was so difficult to market the league in general because offensively, the league was not as stout as it is now. So that now, while yes, you still market players and everything, now it's easier because any given Trey Young can do a lot, not the same, do not get me wrong. But Trey Young can do a lot of things that Steph Curry does. I'm not saying that he's on the same level as Steph. But what I'm saying is he can do some of the same things Steph does. Uh, Brandon Ingram can do a lot of the same things Kevin Durant does. Not saying he's on the same level, but still. While Luka Doncic is averaging, I think, 34 points a game, Shea Gilch is having like 31. So they're not too far off. So it's easier to promote offense and when you're looking there's more offense everywhere but to bring me back to my original point for this topic this is an issue and it's not an issue because I think offense is bad it's not an issue because I think that I think that offense isn't promotable. Obviously, I mean I'm a obviously I'm I'm always going to go on the side of offense. Offense is more exciting, which I understand completely why that is the promotion that is what you're going to promote. And I also understand, which goes back into promotion. Look, the NBA sports is entertainment. And whether you believe it or not, which is why I still I don't get upset with anyone. And I'm not bashing anyone that still watches wrestling. Because wrestling is not that far off from basketball and football. The only difference is... Wrestling has a predetermined winner and loser. And you can, again, I don't have the conspiracy theorist hats. I don't think that the league is scripted. But they are still putting on a show. They are still a company putting on, you know, they're, they they want to put on the best product. At the end of the day, they're trying to sell something. They're trying to sell a product to get your time, to get your money. Same thing that that the WWE is doing. Again, the only difference is there's a predetermined winning or losing or winner and loser. But at the end of the day, they're still putting on a product. So I don't I don't get upset and I don't and I understand completely what the league is trying to do. But the reason why I says the problem is because there's such a vast focus on offense that people are losing. Players in the NBA are losing the defensive fundamentals. When we talk about poor rotations, when we talk about poor fouls, when we talk about take like you're 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 leaning so heavy into the offense that players are. I'm not even gonna say forgetting how to play play defense. They just don't understand how. I think that's why we marvel so much at players like Draymond Green, at players like Patrick Beverly, is because 
they still play defense at a high level. But those are also the same players that may not be have the ability to play defense at or play offense at that same level. And that's no offense to them. I just think that we're losing we're we're so we're so far left or we're so leaning so heavily we're leaning so heavily into the offensive bucket that we're completely forgetting how to teach and how to develop the defensive game. Now, the reason why I think that this is a huge issue because this is trickling down, not just with the NBA. This is trickling down to college. This is trickling down to AAU. I mean... A lot of these NBA games look like a lot of these college games. And a lot of these college games looks a lot like these high school AAU games. So at what point is defense being taught? Again, I'm not sitting here on a soapbox talking about, you know, off, you know, (laughs) I'm not saying that we should just do away with offense. And I'm not saying that we should now only promote defense. I'm not extremist. But I do think that we are getting further and further away from the fundamentals of defense. And when you get to the point where, yo, I was watching, there was, games are ending. If you don't score 130 points a game at this point, it's like, uh, was that a good game? Or if you get a 95 to 98 games like ooh that must have been hard to watch like that's crazy i just it just feels like we're we're losing recipes <laughs> i'm sorry i had to i had to um but no it's clear as day not the fact that yes talent is it's very hard stopping players these days because of just how good they are offensively but there's a lot of players quite as kept that don't even know how to play defense don't doesn't understand rotations and doesn't understand how to play team defense and we're gonna look up and not gonna we're looking up now and it is drastically affecting the product so um <laughs> i had to laugh because it's funny that i go from that to congratulating lebron james congratulating lebron james i think he's 9 points away as we speak of being the first and only player in nba history to reach 4,000 or 40, I'm sorry, 40,000 points. You know how, you know, I was thinking while building this show and constructing this show, will there ever be a player or is there a player now or in the, in the future that can rival not 
all of the accomplishments that LeBron James has eclipsed over his career. But is there a player that I think can almost hit or get close to hitting this mark? Let me let me first and make it extremely clear. I do not think there will ever be a player on the same level of LeBron James. I, th- You know how they say we'll never see, but in the back of your mind, they're going, oh, we possibly could. No, we will never see a player like LeBron James. We will never see a player dominate in the same way that LeBron James is dominate- dominated. We've never seen a player attack or eclipse stats as much as LeBron James has. And we've never, I don't think we'll ever see a player as dominant and as as affecting as he is to the game. But we just talked about the scoring boom and we talked about the scoring typhoon that the NBA is in right now. And quite as it's kept, there are there are a few players that I think if they continue, they could possibly reach this mark. Not saying they will be on the same level as LeBron, but yo, Luka Doncic averages 34 points a game. Now, obviously, he doesn't do as much as LeBron James does in his prime or whatever, but you think that Luka Doncic, who averages 34 points and he's like 26, 27 or something like that, you think that he can't get to 30,000, 39,000 points, 40,000 points? Now, I'm not, again, I know it sounds like it in my head, but I am not minimizing anything that LeBron is doing, seeing as though he is one of one. There has never been somebody that has joined the 40,000 points club. And for that, I completely commend. I don't know if I'm ready. You know what? No, I don't know if I'm ready to say that, but what I will say is LeBron James is the greatest player I've ever witnessed with my two eyes. I've never seen a player, and when I mean witness, I'm, I'm not saying like live. I haven't seen him live yet, but what I'm saying is obviously when I watch Michael Jordan, I watch highlights, and I understand how good Michael Jordan was via highlights. Of course, I was with most of America watching The Last Dance. Um, I know the impact that Michael Jordan had on basketball and has on basketball. But I'm watching LeBron James in real time. And I know that when you hear people say that LeBron James is the greatest, there's automatically a, oh, he's a, he doesn't know any better stigma or, um, there's like a, oh, he's such a millennial or he's such a Gen Z or whatever, Gen X or whatever they're called. They don't know any better. I'm just saying what I, what I witness and what I'm seeing. And I don't think, ain't no, I don't think, I've never seen a player like LeBron James. So 
this isn't me saying that LeBron James is lesser than what he is or has been. This is me saying in going in hand in hand with the NBA scoring boom, I think that there is a player or two that could eventually eclipse this 40,000 point mark. Now, mind you, LeBron James isn't done after 40,000. I think that we still have a few years, a few really good years of LeBron James. I just don't. I just think, like, again, LeBron James, in my opinion, ain't in my opinion, LeBron James has never averaged. Thir- in fact, I'm going to do this right now. Let's see the most points LeBron James has ever averaged. The most points LeBron James has ever averaged in his career is 31.4 points a game. That was back in 2005, 2006. He averaged 30 in 2007, 2008. He also averaged 30 in 2021, 2022. Let me uh let me take a stroll over. And let me see Luka Doncic for a second. Now, again, I, I want to continue to reiterate that I'm not saying Luka Doncic is better or will be better than LeBron James. Le- Luka has been in the league for since 2018. These last two years, he's averaged 32.4, and he's currently averaging 34.4. So you think it is out the realm of possibility that a player like Luka Doncic, who is only 25 years old and and been in the league since 2018, and in fact, since the lowest he's ever averaged was in 2018-19, was 21. The next year, 28. The next year, 27. Actually, 29 if you want to round up. The next year, 28 if you want to round up. You're telling me that man, you don't think that man can get to 40,000 points? That's all I'm saying. I just, I think LeBron James, even though he isn't the biggest scorer ever, um, LeBron James did benefit from a lot of the rule changes. Uh, and I think that Luka Doncic is benefiting from the just obviously the sheer talent of what he has, but he also benefits from the fact of it's more the league leans so heavily on scoring, you know. Uh, but <laughs> I know that was kind of lost in the sauce, but I do want to congratulate LeBron James for. Uh, he's nine points away, so unless something unforeseen happens, he is going to get that to 40,000 and above. So congratulations to LeBron for reaching that mark. So let's move forward. There was a conversation or a, yeah, a topic, a conversation, I guess you can say. I heard the other day that I wanted to talk about here. I think Jason Timpf, um said this. He is a basketball contributor at The Volume. Shouts out to him. Shouts out to The Volume. And I think 
he you know think he pretty much said that the ceiling the greatness of Nikola Jokic will surpass that of uh how great Steph Curry ever was or how great KD ever was like when we talk about the goat status Nikola Jokic has an opportunity to get closer to that goat status than Steph Curry and Le- and Kevin Durant was and I wanted to sit on that for a second. Obviously, rankings are subjective. As far as when we when we talk about greatness debates. Now, do I think that greatness is subjective? No, I think maybe the level of greatness is is subjective. But oh, excuse me. Dang. I thought that was a pause. My fault. Um, I th- I don't th- I don't think greatness is subjective. Maybe ranking it and and the level of it, but you can you know when someone is good, you know when someone is great. There are there are obviously levels to it, but you know he is on a greatness level and he is on a really good level. Obviously, that's still in a sense, subjective, but this whole conversation is subjective. Um, I think, let me first acknowledge that we're talking about three players that we can honestly say we've never seen something before them. We've never seen a player shoot the ball the way that Steph Curry shoots. There's a reason why Steph Curry is widely regarded as the greatest shooter of all time. We've never seen a player that is, I know his uh, his height is always a sense of argument and sense of discussion, but we've never seen a player that I would estimate is seven feet tall have the offensive rep- repertoire that Kevin Durant has. I We've never seen a player put the ball on the ground at his height and score as effortlessly as he has scored in his career. We've never seen somebody with the total offensive package that Steph Curry has. Where we talk about dribbling the ball, whether we talk about court vision and his assist ability, and obviously shooting. And with Nikola Jokic... Even if his career stopped today, let's 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 go that route. Let's say Nikola Jokic's career stopped today. I don't think. I think. Let me say this: If Nikola Jokic did not play another another dribble of basketball, I think Nikola Jokic is a top five center we've ever seen, arguably. And I say that in the sense of 
when we talk about the total package, the complete package, there's things that Nicole Jokic has done that centers are have for years we've never seen. Like I've never seen a center have the court vision that Nicole Jokic has. I've never seen a center have the the dominance and the creativity in the paint that Nikola Jokic has. Not saying that he's the most dominant player. I'm not saying he's the most creative, but when we talk about a complete package of a center, Nikola Jokic, it doesn't get much better than that. But again, it goes back to subjectivity. And what you value. There are some players, there are some people that think that Steph Curry is a is the best player of all time. I'm not, and Steph Curry is my favorite player right now, but I don't think he's the greatest of all time. There are people that think that Kevin Durant's the greatest player of all time. There are people that think that Kobe Bryant's the greatest player of all time. Rest in peace. There are people that think that Jordan, LeBron, Paul George, obviously. There are people that think that most player that a player is better. You know what I'm saying? For me, I don't, I don't, when we talk about greatness and when we talk about the margins, right? And we talk about what makes somebody better than blank. There's just a, there's a pool of people that you can't just look at their skill because their skill might be one area might be vastly better than another person, but vice versa. There's an area, there's an, there's an area of, let me say this. There are things that Kevin Durant does that are much better than Steph Curry and vice versa. There are better things that Steph Curry does that are much better than Kevin Durant. There are things that Nicole Jokic does that's much better than Steph Curry, obviously. Yet and still, there are things that Steph Curry does that's much better than Nikola Jokic. There are things that Nikola Jokic does that are much better than LeBron James has ever done. Yet and still, there are things that LeBron James has done better than Nikola Jokic. That's not me saying that Nikola Jokic is trash or Steph Curry's trash or Kevin Durant's trash. And I also don't think that was the conversation that Jason Tempth was having. What, I, what, what I'm saying is I don't... I guess he was talking about the ceiling and mm, to that, to that extent, I don't know. And I don't agree. I don't agree that the ceiling is higher for Nikola Jokic than it is for Steph Curry and Kevin Durant. Because a lot of things that Nikola Jokic can do and a lot of things that we're praising him for, rightfully so, are things that Steph Curry and Kevin Durant can do and have done at an exceptional level their entire career. The reason why I have to think hard about this, and this is no offense to him. This is no offense to anyone. This is honestly a conversation to big up who we're talking. But I think Nikola Jokic has the ability, and this hurts me to say this, but I think Nikola Jokic does have a, 
does have the ability to, at least in my rankings, overtake a Kevin Durant before he can overtake a Steph Curry. Even if Steph Curry never play, never wins another championship, which I don't know, I don't think he will. I think Nicole, unless Nicole Jokic just starts rattling off championships, in that case, that just <laughs> that just puts my whole conversation to bed, my whole argument to bed. But I, I just think the margins are too close for me to say that Nicole Jokic is going to be definitively better than. Someone like a Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, and if if he does reach that pinnacle, I do think he has, a, you know, the ability. Say he wins three championships. Well, that's more than Kevin Durant. And the only, and I've talked about this before. The only way, and the only reason that I want that I add championships and accolades like that is when. is when the skill is close. Like, to me, a famous argument is, and I know that this is going to be, this is, I'm probably going to clip this up, um, but the skill, when we talk, there's there's a lot of things that LeBron James does much better than Carmelo Anthony did. Yet, there are things that Carmelo Anthony did better than LeBron James, especially when we talk about scoring the ball. So, when we talk about greatness, we have to add more accolades to that. Which is really why people will look at you crazy and probably people look at me crazy saying that while yes, LeBron James is better than Carmelo Anthony by a long shot, it's not as long of a shot as you think until you add the accolades. So, with this, and and I'm not bashing, I'm not killing Nicole Jokic. Shouts out to Nicole Jokic. I think he deserves um, all the praise. I think that. I know I did a MVP ranking the other day and I had Shea Gilgis-Alexander, who I do think deserves to be the MVP. I think he should be number one. But if Nikola Jokic wins, if Nikola Jokic is the MVP, I'm not mad at it. He has been arguably, <laughs> he has been the best player in the league this year. And uh, outside of obviously Joel Embiid, but, you know, injuries and everything, so. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't know. If, if, if you, if I have to be definitive about my statement and about my stance, I think Nicole Jokic has the best opportunity to surpass Kevin Durant. He already has more MVPs than Kevin Durant. He has, uh, it, it just comes down to championships. If he wins, if he wins, let's say he wins two more championships and two more MVPs. Two more finals MVPs. That means that he would have more championships and more finals MVPs than Kevin Durant. Um, with Steph, with with he he's at Steph. He he hits. He beat Steph in. Well, him and Steph are tied with regular season MVPs. They're tied with finals MVPs. Even though I think if Nikola Jokic wins another one, he's going to win it again. 
The only thing that he has over Steph is the nothing. <laughs> nothing. He has one Finals MVP, two regular season MVPs, tied with Steph, tied with Steph, and he has one championship. Steph has four. So we'll see. We will see. Um, moving forward, I do want to shout out and congratulate uh, Caitlin Clark for a couple of things. Uh, she, if I remember correctly, and if I read this correctly, she recorded. Last time we talked, let's first start here. Last time we talked, she was on the verge of scoring the most points in college basketball history for the for the women's side. And I think she's like maybe 10, 15 points away from beating Pistol Pete Maravich's, I think, most in D1 history. As we speak, I think the other, the, uh, a few nights ago, she recorded her sixth triple double. And I think she has the most triple doubles in D1 basketball history, both men's and women. I'm not sure men's, but for sure the women's. And she just announced that she will be going to the WNBA after this season. She's already projected as the number one overall pick. She is, you know, the, the, the question wasn't where she was going to get drafted. It was, is she going to put her name in the draft or is she going to go back to school where she has an opportunity to possibly make more money uh, in college with NIL deals than in the WNBA? Last episode, or last time we talked about Caitlin Clark, I said that she was the biggest thing in college basketball right now. And I think I'm, I think I'm at the point where she's the biggest, at least story right now in basketball not just that's that's men like Caitlin Clark is revolutionary right now as far as the way that she is approaching every game the way that she's playing the reason when I say she's once in a generational that is what I mean there is I don't foresee a player being as good or on the same level as Caitlin Clark. Um, and that's kind of, that's kind of my fear with Caitlin Clark going to the WNBA. Now, do I think that she should go? Absolutely. Do I think that she's good enough to go? Absolutely. But, I'm hearing a lot of former WNBA players talk about Caitlin Clark and pretty much express how what is going on is more of an anomaly and it's not going to continue. And I think that that is the worst. And I talked about this last time. I think that is the worst 
approach for the WNBA. I think that the WNBA needs to wrap their arms around this woman, both marketing-wise, promotion-wise, and get her in front of everywhere. The WNBA has struggled. And I mean struggled finding the face for them, for your league. Now, don't get me wrong. There has been some incredible, incredible players, whether we talk about Lisa Leslie, we talk about uh, Tina Charles, we talk about Diana Taurasi, Candace Parker, Maya Moore. They have... They, there have been a pantheon of great, incredible WNBA players. Cheryl Swoops. But when we talk about the face, like when we talk about the first thing you think of when you think of the WNBA is what? The first person you think of. Usually it's a different, different question, different answer. Now, it's not a different answer because... You know, people just have different opinions. While that is a and that that is a reason, that's not the biggest reason. For instance, you go to a basketball novice and say, "Yo, when you think of the NBA, who's the first thing you think about?" You obviously you're going to get different answers, but I'm sure the majority of the time you're going to get either three answers, maybe four. Four answers. You're going to get LeBron James, Steph Curry, Michael Jordan, or Kobe Bryant. That doesn't take away from anything those other players do, but those are the four names you're going to see. You're going to more than likely hear. I'm almost sure I go to those same people and ask, yo, when you think of the WNBA, what's the first name you think of? It's going to be extremely hard to get a regular name. But if I say, yo, if I talk about college basketball right now, I'm not even gonna I'm not even gonna preference it by saying woman. If I say college basketball, I'm almost sure I'm gonna hear a lot of Caitlin Clark. The WNBA has to wrap their arms around her skill, has to wrap their arms around their pr- promotability and not do the whole Oh, that's not going to work in this league. Nick, bruh. People are not going to like me saying this, but I will say it. Caitlin Clark right now is better than a lot of WNBA players. And she will be better than a lot of WNBA players. I'm not saying all, but I'm saying there. Come on. So. We we talk about the issues that the the WNBA has had with promotability. Your your a lifeline is coming, and she didn't even have to come, but a lifeline is coming. Do everything you can to promote this person. And I promise you, you're going to see an increase. And if you don't believe me, just look at who, name me another player that played Iowa basketball 
that had the same buzz, men or woman, man or woman, name me the same Iowa basketball player that had the same buzz, that had a jam-packed arena, that had people, that had a so an Iowa that had a sold-out arena, multiple sold-out arenas. In fact, the whole season has been sold out. Name me another Iowa basketball player. I'll wait. Do not fumble this bag, WNBA. Promote your players. And you're about to get arguably the most, the the player that I'm not saying that she will be better than all the players I previously talked about in the WNBA. I'm not saying she's going to be better than Maya Moore, Candace Parker, Tina Charles, or Lisa Leslie, or Cheryl Swoops, or Diana Taurasi, or Sue Bird, or Brianna Stewart, or Asia Wilson. I'm not saying Caitlin Clark is going to be there. But what I am saying is that promote promotability-wise, she is better than all of them. And y'all know, people know, if you've listened to me talk, if you listen to this podcast, you know how much I love Asia Wilson because she is just an incredible basketball player. Asia Wilson, someone that I truly appreciate as a basketball player, does not have anywhere close to the same amount of promotability and market marketability that can't. Caitlin Clark does and it's not because of a white and black thing it's be I'll say it people are going to hate me people might even comment whatever Caitlin Clark plays as close to Stephen Curry and plays as close to the way that the NBA is marketing themselves closer than any player in the WNBA. And that, for instance, you know who else plays as close to the NBA, especially when we talk about their three-point brilliance and just how good they can shoot? Sabrina Nadescu. And you know, and it's let's just say it's it's not just a coincidence that Sabrina Nadescu was the first player in WNBA history to headline an event at NBA All Star Weekend with who none other than Steph Curry. Is Sabrina Nadescu the best player in the WNBA? Of course not. But is she one of the most marketable because her game is as close to the game and the play style that the NBA is trying to promote? Yes. And is that be just because of three? Probably. But what I'm saying is I'm hearing a lot of, oh, Caitlin Clark's in for a rude awakening when she gets to the WNBA or all the freedom that she has in the in the in college she's not going to have the WNBA or 
you know, she's not going to she's not going to be as big or as as uh, famous in the WNBA as she is. Look. I'm hearing a lot of uh, criticism from Caitlin Clark instead of the praise that I'm supposed to be hearing because she has the ability to put the WNBA in a place that no one has been able to take it. And that's no and I'm not I'm not talking about the talent level. I'm I'm solely talking about the marketability. I'm happy for Caitlin Clark. I'm happy for the WNBA because the WNBA needs someone like Caitlin Clark. And this is someone that come on. If I'm wrong, if I'm wrong, please leave in the comment and tell me why I'm wrong. I'm okay. I am open for my mind to be changed. Please, if I am wrong, go in the comments and tell me why I'm wrong. The issue is, I don't think I am. And this is someone that watches the WNBA. I watch the WNBA. I know how good the WNBA is. I know how good of players these women are. I know how good of a player Chelsea Gray is. I know how good of a player Kelsey Plum can be. I know how good of a player... Elena Deladon or or I want the best for the WNBA. And I think the best for the WNBA, at least for marketing wise right now, is to wrap their arms around Caitlin Clark and promote them just like the NBA promoted um just like the NBA promoted LeBron James, just like they promoted you know players the WNBA has a player that and I'm not saying will be LeBron but from marketability she's on the same level of LeBron she's on the same level of Steph marketability I'm not saying talent so promote her like such and that doesn't that doesn't negate and that doesn't take away from the greatness of other players we're solely talking about promotability. I'm not even saying she has to win or she's going to win a chance. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is don't let this opportunity slip through the cracks or don't do the whole uh, she has to take her licks as a play. But what? All right. Lastly, before we go, I'm not going to call this a uh, I'm not going to call this an unpopular topic of the day. I'm going to call this <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to call this. I'm just going to call this the last topic of the day. Um I don't know if this makes me a hater or not. Then I'm pointing this out. Maybe I get the player hater award this year. I don't know. <laughs> but I wanted to congratulate and shout out Austin Matthews. Um, the center for the Toronto Maple Leafs. For having 53 goals this year as we speak. Um, which is the most in the NHL right now. Um 
I wanted to start by congratulating him, obviously, because, I mean, he is one of the – he is and has been one of the best players in the NHL since he's been in the league, and he's only 26. So he, he is – hold up. <laughs> hold up. Damn. Yo, that really just hit me that Austin Matthews is three years younger than me? I feel like, and he's been in the league since 2016. Damn. Man, man, that was a, wow. That was a, all right. Wow. All right, let's get back to the topic at hand. Um, There, we talk about, I've talked about this before, um, there are different expectations for different players. And there's also different expectations for different teams. And yes, while this is an individual award and while 53 goals and the season's not even over is extremely incredible. I'm not here poo-pooing on that. But I'm I'm kind of looking at this in a sense of uh, a Toronto Maple Leafs fan, and talking to a couple of Toronto Maple Leafs fans, there is a sense of frustration, not just with Austin Matthews and him scoring this this amount of goals, but the Toronto Maple Leafs in general, because we talk about bas- football is king in the United States. We talk about basketball is more of a global sport than anything. NHL, hockey in Toronto and Canada is God. Like, they love hockey more than anything else in Toronto. I mean, in Canada. And you know how let's 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 bring it here. You know how people get upset with the Dallas Cowboys because they haven't really seen success in a while yet they're touted as um what you know, quote unquote America's team and they are considered, you know, one of the greatest franchises in this, that, and the third. Well, the Toronto Maple Leafs are kind of on the same level in Canada. They had ex- early success, extremely early success. And they were incredible. I mean, they were a, a dynasty. Pretty much in the what 60s, 70s. But <laughs> they haven't really seen much success in recent recently. And they've had incredible teams. I mean, Austin Matthews has been one of the best players. Yet and still, the last Stanley Cup they won was in 1990, what? 
Yeah. The last Stanley Cup they won was in 1963, 64. They have 13 Stanley Cups. And the last divisional championship they won was in 2021, 2022. I think people people in Toronto are and in Canada are kind of tired of the individual awards because the one thing about the Toronto Maple Leafs is they usually have someone that dominates in it. Whether they have one of the best goalies, whether they have um, one of the best scorers, i.e. Austin Matthews, whether they have one of the best defensemen, they usually have a great player, but it obviously has not produced a championship since 1963-64. So, congratulations to Austin Matthews, and I know it sounds like hate. I'm not trying for it to be hate, but I think that the Toronto Maple Leafs and the fans care more about them getting back to their glory days. And I don't know if or when they'll ever get back. Because they have a player that is great, and obviously, as you read, he's been pretty good since 2016. He's been one of the best players in NHL since he stepped on the scene. Yet and still, this team hasn't won a Stanley Cup. And they've been to a couple since, obviously. They've been to a good number. But they when we talk about epic collapses, they've had some epic collapses in the NHL or Stanley Cup playoffs. That's all I'll say. And there you have it. That's been today's episode of the Unpopular Podcast. I truly, truly appreciate you guys. If you want a popular podcast shirt, hoodie, sweater, long sleeve joggers, the link is in the description below. I have multiple different colors, multiple different designs. Get your Unpopular Podcast merch today. Also, please subscribe to wherever you're listening. Please subscribe to the YouTube channel. I'm trying to reach as many subscribers as I can. So if you like the content, tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend to subscribe. If you get to this point, you haven't subscribed. I don't know what to tell you. Just subscribe, man. Please hit that button. Also, if you do listen on the DSPs, whether that's Apple Podcasts, whether that's Spotify, SoundCloud, please follow or subscribe. It definitely means a lot. You guys are just as important as my YouTube audience, and I would like to grow my DSP audience as well. So please subscribe or follow. Also, please Follow the socials, follow Instagram, follow TikTok. I post pretty much daily there. That's if you really want to debate with me, if you want to go back and forth, the socials is probably the quickest place to do that. Um, Yeah, I don't mind going back and forth. I like going back and forth if it is a fruitful and if it is a respectful conversation, you know, debate. I understand that you're not going to agree with everything I say. I'm probably not going to agree with everything you say. That doesn't devalue what you're saying, and that doesn't devalue what I say. It's just we have two separate opinions. And if you can be respectful, I don't mind going back and forth. It's fun, you know. So please subscribe, or I'm sorry, please follow. And until next time, much love.